This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, if you haven't yet, uh, find your Bible or your Bible app and get that open to the book of Judges as we continue our series through the book of Judges, a series I've entitled Compromise, Chaos, and Covenant, as we sort of jump in to the story of the people of Israel in this really bizarre time um, where Josh, Moses has died, Joshua has died, Samuel, who is the sort of the final judge and the last judge before King Saul and then King David, we're in this in-between time, and it's a crazy time. It's a time, as we've mentioned, that judge, the book of Judges itself describes as a time when Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And I just felt like with all that we're walking through right now, uh, this it's a chaotic time and it was a, it seemed to be a good time to look at this book So, and to look at this idea of compromise and chaos in the context of a covenant-keeping God. We're going to be looking at Josh, uh, Judges, excuse me, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and the title of the message this morning is uh, a covenant people, a covenant people. And I'm going to just jump right into the text here. It's a shorter passage today. Um, And so I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to get into it this morning. Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Uh, as, and this is the context again over the last couple of weeks. The people of Israel, after the do- death of Joshua, have begun as various tribes to go in and make their way and conquer the land that's been allotted to them. As they're supposed to wipe out the current inhabitants through this idea of harem, the total devotion of something to the Lord by destruction. Um, an incestuous, idolatrous people trying to... Uh, take every bit of the land that God had promised them. And we saw in the last couple of weeks that the southern tribes uh, did okay. The tribe of Judah and those around Simeon, they did all right, but they started to sort of move in some not great directions. And then we saw last week that the northern tribes uh, really failed completely. And we this whole idea, they went into an area and they started well, but they did not drive out. They didn't finish the job. Um, and so now in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal, which is right outside of Jericho, the very first city that the Israelites took when they came in, when Joshua, Joshua was still alive. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you, speaking as God, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochim, and there they offered sacrifices to the Lord. 
Let me just make some initial comments. First of all, it says the it refers to this messenger as the angel of the Lord. A better translation would really be the messenger of the Lord. Um, when we use think of the word angel, we think of a being with wings and somebody that flies around. But the idea of the angel of the Lord is really more of a personification of the very presence of God. It's a messenger of God that represents God. This isn't a, a human prophet. Um, but it's not necessarily an angelic being like Michael the archangel or Gabriel. And the important part of this is that um, it says it's the angel of the Lord that went up from Gilgal. Uh, we've talked about in the past that God said he would go with the people, that he, his presence would guide them and he would drive out the nations before them if they would be faithful to him and listen to him. So the angel of the Lord represents the very presence of God uh, with the people of Israel. And he begins to speak to them and to tell them uh, who he is and what he's done for them, and ask them why they haven't, basically why they haven't been faithful. And then at the end, it says the place where they, at, they were at, uh, they named it Bokim, Bokim and which means uh, the weepers, or the place of weeping, because they were cut to the heart by what the angels said. They knew they hadn't done the job that God had called them to do, and now they found themselves... Uh, in the situation they were in, and it says that they began to weep and to uh, and uh, they offered sacrifices to the Lord there, which is all well and good. Uh, we should, when we're cut to the heart, when God convicts us of things, um, weeping, repentance, sacrifice is all a good thing. But we're going to find out that it was really a very thin repentance. It, it, it didn't go much past the surface. It was much, wasn't much more than tears because the whole rest of the book of Judges uh, is about their continued, almost completely about their continued failures. And we'll talk about that more uh, in a moment. But the title of the message from this passage is A Covenant People. And if I wanted to make it longer, A Covenant People in Relation to a Covenant-Keeping God. And um, this idea of a covenant is similar but different from the idea of a contract. And we live in a world full of contracts. And because we live in a world full of contracts, we live in a world full of lawyers and attorneys. Can I get an amen? Um, <laughs> and we have contracts for everything. Um, contract is a legal agreement, usually signed by two parties. Uh, we have it's a, it's a written agreement, or sometimes it's a spoken agreement. But it's, uh, it, you know, and it, we have contracts concerning employment, uh, things we buy and sell, uh, the places where we live, um, we have contracts for insurance, for all sorts of things. Um, and a contract is between two parties, or sometimes more than two parties, um, and it is usually somewhat temporary, could be longer or shorter, but it's somewhat temporary, um, and it's entered into on a, on a legal arrangement, and it's signed with a pen, and there doesn't have to be any relationship between the people in the contract other than the issue of the contract. In other words, we, let, we, enter, we enter into contracts with total strangers all the time. Uh, Rhonda and I just recently refinanced our home, and I did the whole thing online, and I never saw the people that own, that technically own my home, because they have the loan. I never saw them. I never spoke to them in person. I just spoke to people on the phone, and yet I entered into a contract. And, uh, and lawyers, as I talked about, uh, no offense to my good friend Eric that's an attorney and those of you that might be, uh, but they love contracts because they get the opportunity often to go over contracts and then to hold people accountable and often make a lot of money by um, 
forcing people to abide by the agreements of their contracts or uh, finding ways to penalize them for not abiding by them. But a covenant, this idea of covenant where uh, God says, the angel of the Lord says in this passage uh, that he will never break his covenant with his people, um, a covenant is different. A covenant is an agreement that is more personal and it's relational in nature. And it's not usually sealed with a pen, but it's by the signing with a pen, but it's sealed by a personal pledge. The most obvious form that we see is in a marriage. Now, obviously, people with a lot of means, all, uh, unfortunately, a marriage oftentimes is nothing more than a contract. Uh, they sign prenuptial agreements, sort of planning ahead in case this doesn't go the way we planned. I want to know what's mine and what's yours before we even get started. But that's not what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement that is reached by two parties, and it's about the complete giving to, of, of ourselves to each other for a common cause. And it's a pledge of our very self uh, in, the, in the situation. And, um, and so we need to recognize as we go through the Old Testament, as we read the story of Israel and in the book of Judges, everything we're reading is in the context of covenant. That we are a covenant, and it flows into today. That we, as the people of God today, are a covenant people. That we are bound to God by covenant agreements where He has given us Himself and called us to Himself. And um, <clears throat> much deeper than a contract, much more profound, and the implications actually are much greater. Um, so let's look at this idea of covenant in this passage or, or in the, the story of Israel. First of all, um, well, God's whole approach to creation and to humans is based on covenant uh, rather than just a contract. It starts in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the world and then he gets to Adam and then eventually Eve and he said, let us make man in our own image and um, let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. And we see that um, God, through creation, has given us everything in creation for our enjoyment, for our cultivation, for our stewardship, to sort of push his rule and reign and his good grace out into creation with the invitation and the expectation that we would trust him and submit to his loving authority, to stay in relationship with him, recognizing that he's the one that created us, he's the one that's given us everything, and so as we make our way in the world, we do so in an awareness of his grace and his goodness, and we trust him and we worship him and we seek him. That's the original covenant in Genesis. And then we jump to Genesis chapter 12 after things have gone horribly wrong and man, uh, starting with Adam and Eve and everybody else, has basically broken covenant with God. God didn't just wash his hands and say, well, forget it. Um, you know, I'm going to do something else. Uh, go start another planet or something. Uh, but eventually he finds a man, a man named Abram, who eventually he changes his name to Abraham. And in Genesis 12, 1 and 2, we see God's covenant reaffirmed where he says to Abram, tells him to leave his home, his people, his father, and go to the land I will show you, the land that the people of Israel are now trying to take in the uh, book of Judges. And he said, through you, I'm going to build an entire nation. And through that nation, it's going to be a nation holy to me that's who's based on worship of me. I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to build you so that that nation built through Abraham's seed would be a witness to the whole rest of the world uh, to the goodness and the grace of God. He said, uh, basically said, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. 
And, um, and that was all based on take, building this people and eventually getting them to this promised land, this specific piece of, of geography that today we call Israel, which is actually just a small part of it, um, to say that on this land, the true God, the only God, is going to be worshipped, and life is going to run the way he originally intended it, and that is going to be a witness and a blessing to the whole world. But as we see when we read the Old Testament, as we can see as we read the book of Judges, we just didn't have it in us. They didn't have it in them, and we wouldn't have had it in us to on our own to be the people that God has called us. And so that even though we are a covenant people and that God is a covenant-keeping God and he will never break his covenant, we have not been able to keep our side of the deal. And we deserve for him just to say, forget it, that's it, you've been unfaithful, and move on. But that's not what he does. If you are taking notes, here's the central thought this morning. Excuse me. As we think about God as a covenant-keeping God and we as a covenant people, the central thought is this. We enter into the promises and the purposes of God. That's what all this is about. God has promised us this land, this place of his presence and his purposes. We enter into the promise and purposes of God when we respond to him on his terms, accepting his self-giving love, protection and provision, and submitting exclusively to his life-affirming authority. I'll read it one more time. We enter into the promises and purposes of God when we respond to him on his terms, accepting his self-giving love, protection, and provision, and submitting exclusively to his life-affirming authority. God gives himself to us, not just with a contract that we sign for a pen, with a pen for a specified amount of time, but in covenant, gives himself to us, and all he asks is that we give ourselves fully to him and to his purposes. So as we get to our passage here where God says, I will never break my covenant with you, so why have you broken it on your side? Um, We realize, first of all, that the original covenant in the Old Testament is based on law. It's called the Old Covenant. But both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that we have in Jesus Christ that we'll talk about in a moment is a certain kind of covenant. So back in the Old, back in the ancient times, and this is probably true today even, there are different kinds of covenants. There are covenants that are more like contracts because they're between two equals. But the kind of covenant we have with God, the kind of agreement we have with God, is, a, is called, it's a weird word, it's called a suzerain, I can't even say it right, a suzerainty, suzerainty covenant. And um, if you're trying to spell that, it's S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N-T-Y, suzerainty covenant. And what that means is, is this is a kind of covenant that, is, that comes in the situation where you have a stronger, greater entity that is coming to offer terms of a covenant to a much weaker, uh, maybe smaller uh, entity. And so in this case, God is creator God. He's the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. And, uh, but he comes to us through creation and through Abraham and, now, and through Jesus, and he says, I love you. And I want to give everything to you, all that I have. I want it to be yours. I want you to partner with me in working out my good purposes in this world. And all I ask in return is that you trust me and you worship me alone. But the important part to see here at first is that we come to God in this kind of suzerainty covenant. We come to God solely on our, or excuse me, on his terms. 
And this is really important. Maybe you're watching this video this morning and you're maybe sort of seeking and you're not sure if there is a God, if he's a good God, what about this whole Jesus thing? And um, one of the challenges we have when we consider God and we consider religion and faith is we want to be in control and we want to set at least some of the terms of the agreement. But that's not how it works. Um, It's almost like Uh, We want to read what God says, and we want to think about it, and we want to come up with a contract, and we want to say, God, why don't you go have your lawyers look at this, and I'll have my lawyers look at this. We'll make some adjustments, and then we'll both sign it and see how that goes. But but that's not how it works. God is is the completely, eternally greater person and being in this situation. God sets the terms of the covenant, of the agreement. And we, and, and we simply have the opportunity to say, yes, I want to enter into that, or no, I'm going to go it on my own. But we don't get to change the terms. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 1 and 3, uh, where God says uh, through Moses, and speaking to the people of Israel, well before they get to the promised land, but talking about when they do, I am the Lord your God, I'm the one, as he says, and this reminds him in in, uh, chapter 2 in Judges, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God reminds him that he's kept the covenant. They were slaves in Egypt, and he went and got them. They would have never got themselves out on their own. He got them out. He brought them from there. He brought them through the desert. He provided for them. He cared for them. And he said, in light of that, In light of the fact that I've given you everything, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the kind of covenant we're in. God is is the total provider. He's giving everything to us, and all he asks is that we trust him and worship him alone. And we don't make allowances for other, quote, gods and and add our own sort of uh, agreements or addendums to the contract as as if it were a contract that we had a say in. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 5 through 6, a similar situation. As they get into the land, he says, this is what you're to do to the inhabitants or to the situation there. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You are a covenant people. I have bought you. I have made you. I have called you into being. I'm adding some of that. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He has chosen you and he's chosen you and me out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people. And listen to this phrase, and this comes over and over in the Old Testament. To be his people, to be his treasured possession. We are God's treasured possession now through Jesus Christ. The people of Israel were God's treasured possession Uh, by his choice and he says I love you I want to do wonderful things for you I have saved you I will continue to guide for you and provide for you and give you everything I said I will completely keep all my my side of the covenant just look to me to worship me only trust me seek me in your time of need that's but we don't get to adjust any of that we don't get to say well that's great God but you know, I've sort of I've been eyeing some of the stuff here in Canaan, and I sort of like some of the temples and some of their gods and the way they do things. And I, I think we can work this out with them. And he says, No, that's not the way this works. So there's a suzerainty covenant of a greater entity, greater being that sets the terms for the lesser, and that's what we're in. 
but different than covenants made that way in the in ancient times. Um, the heart of God's covenant is defined by this Hebrew word some of you have heard before, chesed. Chesed is simply loving kindness or, or defines it as a covenant of love. This isn't a covenant where God is trying to extract something from us. The covenants that, that many of the pagan nations entered in with their so-called gods were covenants of appeasement. They were basically, hey, just don't harm us. Could you give us some rain when we need it? And we'll even give you some of our children if that's what it takes. And, and there was this idea that the gods were, that gods were sort of hungry for affection and they were hungry for whatever and they had to be appeased in that way. But the, I, but the idea of a chesed covenant, a covenant of love, is that God has given himself to us solely for our good and so that we can work out his good purposes into the world. Back to Exodus and Deuteronomy once again, Deuteronomy once again Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. God says to the Israelites plainly, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. You'll be like a diamond that, I, that reflects my grace and glory out to everybody else and go, look at how beautiful that is. You will, of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter says that about the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, later on in the New Testament, he says, we now, through Jesus Christ, are a kingdom of priests and kings, a holy nation to reflect the grace and the goodness of God to the whole world. He says, these are the words speaking to Moses that you are to speak to the Israelites. To Deuteronomy chapter 7, again, starting at verse 7 this time. Speaking to the Israelites, he says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest. They're just a tiny little nation compared to the other nations of the area. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. Basically, there is no other God. Uh, he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So the covenant we have with God is a suzerainty covenant with a, a greater to a lesser. And we don't get to set the terms. God sets the terms of it. But it's also a covenant of chesed. It's based on God's loving kindness where he wants to just give us himself completely and give us everything for our good so we can carry that good out into the world and reflect it to the, to the nations of the world and to our current neighbors. But there's a problem. And you know the problem, and I know the problem, and we read about it over and over. We will read about it over and over again in the book of Judges. Just like the people in chapter two, 1 and 2 of Judges could not, did not follow through on their end. They did not trust God completely. They, as we said last week, they gave up too soon, and they settled for too little. They compromised very quickly. You and I have done the same thing. And this isn't a surprise to God. God wasn't surprised, saying, well, I really thought you could do it. No, all along, he knew that so much of the Old Testament, the Israel in the law, it's all about helping us see that in ourselves, we can't be the covenant people that God has called us to be. Only through Jesus Christ, only through his saving work and the gift of his Holy Spirit can we do that. And we find out when we move from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, 
that we go from a covenant that's based on law. You do all these things, the Ten Commandments and others. You, you keep them to the nth degree to a covenant that's based on grace and is founded on the righteousness of Christ and his Holy Spirit in our lives. What we discover is that through Christ, God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. This passage in Judges chapter 2, when God says, hey, I've kept my end of the agreement, why haven't you? Um, And so now I'm not going to drive the nations out before you. I'm going to use them basically to test you. They're going to be thorns in your side, a trap for you, and a snare to you. It says they wept aloud, and they, they, um, the people wept aloud. They called the place Bochum, and they offered sacrifices. Basically, they were saying, oh, you're right. We'll do better. We'll really do better. We'll do it. We want to be faithful, and I believe they did. I believe at that moment they were cut to the heart, and their, their sacrifices, their tears were genuine, but they weren't enough. Because in themselves, they just didn't have what it took. There was still too much of the fallen man, the original Adam, within them. And, and it is only when, the, when Jesus came, the, final, the one that was truly and finally the faithful Jew, the one who perfect, walked in perfect covenant relationship with his father, um, and, and from that place offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, that is the only way that... Uh, that we have become a covenant people is by aligning ourselves with him. And uh, Jeremiah, in his prophecy in chapter 31, alludes to this um, when he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And then that's representative of us today. And he says, I will no longer will a man teach a man, but I'm going to write my laws and my things right on their heart. And that's, an, and that's a sort of a foreshadowing of the gift of his Holy Spirit. So now God doesn't just give, us to a, give him, himself to us in his words and in his law, but he gives himself to us in his very self. And, and it goes even deeper, and we know this. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 27 and 28, at the Last Supper Jesus has before he's crucified, Jesus takes the familiar cup of the Passover meal that all the Jews knew what it represented in that setting. And he took the cup and he said, after he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, this, this cup that you know about, this wine, is my blood of the covenant, or the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. We talked at the beginning about contracts where you have two possibly equal parties, maybe one's got more money than the other, but they're they're coming in the, at the to the contract as equals and they they go over the details, lawyers look at it and they sign it. But God comes to us as one who's covenant in a covenant relationship for to give himself fully to us and we give ourselves fully to him, but originally giving us himself was giving us uh, his word and giving us his law and guiding us with his, with his general presence. But now Jesus says, in Jesus, God has given us his very life. And he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he gave, shed his very blood through Jesus Christ. Um, so now that this covenant is sealed in blood, and then, um, and then through the Holy Spirit, once we come to faith in Christ, recognizing that his shed blood covers us, cleanses us of our sins through the Holy Spirit, God has enabled us to live for him in a way we could never do on our own.
The whole point of God's covenant is that a people would be developed, a people would be built, a people would come into being uh, that would reflect his grace and his glory back to him and out into the world. And over and over, Adam and Eve failed. The descendants of Abraham failed. Um, The monarchy that you read about later after Judges, the monarchy failed. Everything failed until God came himself in Jesus Christ. And he lived on this earth in perfect covenant relationship uh, before the Father and before men and women. And he, he demonstrated the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of God perfectly, and then ultimately gave, sacrificed his very life. So that all the things that were working against us being able to keep the covenant, um, sin and death and the grave, all of these things were overcome. And so he gave us himself, and then he gives us his Holy Spirit. And so now I come to Christ, and I'm filled with his Spirit, not just so I can be saved, not just so I can come back into covenant relationship with God, but so that you and me together can now finally be the people that God has been longing for. And we can reflect his grace and his glory back out into the world. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 16, uh, let your light so shine. That, um, that as you do good deeds, people might see them and thus glorify your Father in heaven. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Many of you are very familiar. At the end of chapter 7, after, after Paul saying, hey, in myself, I just can't be the person God's called me to be. I'll never be a covenant keeper. <laughs> the thing I want to do, I can't do. The thing I don't want to do is the very thing I do. And he says, what a wretched man I am. But then he says in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit who gives life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, the Old Testament covenant, was powerless to do because it was weakened by our flesh, not because of God's failures, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't, be, we're not, we don't become the people of God now be, by becoming more religious, uh, by memorizing more scripture or even necessarily going to more Bible studies, even though those things are helpful and important. We become the covenant people of God when we open our hearts up to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are filled with His Spirit and learn to walk and step and be led by the Spirit so that God's work actually is confirmed in us and through us out into the world. I want to close with a passage from the book of James that's a little harsher, but I think it's important for us. James, thinking about who we are as the people of God, this covenant people that God is, he, God is the one that has saved us from our sins. God has provided everything for us, and he's called us just to worship him alone and to, to love the world in his name. James says in verse 7 of chapter 4, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's how the end of our passage we read this morning ends. At the end of the passage, after God takes them to task, they're cut to the heart. They're grieving. They're mourning. They're wailing. They're offering sacrifices to God. But in that context, it wasn't enough. Now it says we have to come near to God and he will draw near to us. And we can change our laughter to mourning and we can change our joy to gloom and we can humble ourselves before the Lord and by his Holy Spirit, as we come to him in faith through Jesus Christ, he will lift us up. He will cleanse us of our sins. He will set us free. And most importantly, he will empower us to be the people that he's called us to be. To, to represent him in this world, to do his good works in this world, anticipating that day when Christ returns to make all things new. Brothers and sisters, that is what God has done for us. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's given us him very, his very self. Um, and he's just called us not into a contract, not into something that lawyers look at and decide, do I want to do this, but to give ourselves completely and unreservedly to him. And when we do that, we receive all of his benefits and we, and we have the ability to accomplish all that he's called us to. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church because I believe that we are a people that we certainly don't do it perfectly, but we're moving in that direction, even in these difficult times. But can, we, uh, but can we give ourselves to the Lord wholeheartedly once again? Can we confess our sins, our selfishness, our pride, our self-righteousness, uh, the ways that we've sort of tried to take control of the situation and recognize that we come to God on his terms and let him change our hearts and draw us to himself once again? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God, that from through creation, through the call of Abraham and the Israelites, and specifically through your son, Jesus Christ, and the gift of your Holy Spirit, all throughout history, you have done nothing but give us yourself and work for our good. And Lord, so often we have tried to take matters into our own hands. So often we have taken for granted all of the good things that you've given us and done for us, and we've gone our own way. We have not worshipped you as we should. Uh, we have not uh, sought you and uh, primarily been. You have, we haven't sought you as the the main source of our help and our hope. Lord, we confess that and we ask your forgiveness. Lord, would you just help us see what a beautiful God you are? Lord Jesus, what a wonderful Savior you are. And would you help us to offer ourselves to you anew and afresh? Would you cleanse us of our sin and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can have confidence that we are in right relationship with you and we can look out into this world in all the mess that it is right now and we can, we can be agents of grace and truth and love and hope as you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.